Now I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 57 of the Gospel of Luke. Luke has chosen to put the events surrounding the first Christmas down in writing in even a little more detail than any of the other gospel writers because as he's writing this, he actually addressed someone in the very beginning of it who he knows has heard some things about Jesus and heard things about his birth but are looking for more information and want to know if they can really trust that it happened. Maybe sounds almost too good to be true, and so he has a little bit more care and level of detail as he unpacks the events surrounding the first Christmas for all of us to look into and to consider the implications of them for our lives. uh, Luke believes in Jesus, and he is being careful in how he is recording this, not knowing that we 2,000 years later would be reading his words and continuing to worship, but there's a bit of a hint of that in the verses that we're gonna read today. So we're picking up in verse 57 at the end of the Gospel of Luke chapter one. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And that's where we'll conclude our reading today. If you're just visiting us uh, today and you're not familiar with the Bible story, we're reading about a miraculous birth, but this is not yet the miraculous birth of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' birth was miraculous. We're getting there in Luke's gospel. But when God did this amazing and new thing that had never been done in human history and several people would have 
questions and wondering if this is really true or not, he then had multiple signs that would point to the reality that something different was happening. So not just a singular miracle in the birth of Christ, but several things that took place that cumulatively required people to say, we, we can't deny what's happening. This is different. This has never been before. And so something that's happening is gonna make a, a profound amount of difference. And one of that is the birth of another person who we know as John. He would have been a relative of Jesus's, but his parents had a very different story than Mary and Joseph. Though his father, Zachariah, was a priest and they had longed to have children, they were not able to have children. And at some point in his role as a priest, uh, in a company of priests, he was selected to go into the temple and offer a prayer. And at a moment of his prayer, at the beginning of chapter one, he gets visited by an angel who tells him, Zachariah, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a child. And what he finds hard to believe is that this is going to happen because it's something they've longed for for a long time, they've prayed about, and now they, kind of similar to a, an older story in the Bible, a couple named Abram and Sarah, they think they're, they're probably past the point of being able to have children. And yet this angel speaks this word and even Zechariah himself has a hard time believing it. And in his questions back and forth, it realizes he's listening, but he's struggling. And so as a sign to the people that God is doing something new, when he comes out of the room and people are waiting to hear what happened when you were in there, he is no longer able to speak. And so it, it says that everyone could tell something was different, but he couldn't tell them what was different. And when we get to now this chapter, it seems to indicate not only had he lost his ability to speak, but he also probably lost his ability to hear. Because in the selection of this name, they're all surprised that he says a name that Elizabeth has just said, which means he didn't hear her say it. That these are two separate things happening that puzzle the people because now for the entire length of this miraculous pregnancy, he is limited in his ability to speak and probably also his ability to hear. But in every other way, he was healthy. People knew something was gonna come, but they didn't understand the full implications of it. And so this is a sign before the sign. This is uh, something to get people ready for the next thing that's gonna come, but it's pretty awesome all in and of itself. And when we read this story with all of the stories that surround the first Christmas, it should be for us an invitation to pray. If there's anything when we take our time to read slowly the story of Christmas that we should seek to do as a means of application, it is that we should persevere in prayer and not give up on it. We don't know how long Zachariah had been praying and Elizabeth for a child, but we know it had been a long time. And as they now experience this answer to prayer, as they heard from the angel that your prayer has been answered and now a healthy delivery of this child comes about, they recognize that this is also answering a whole lot of other prayers, that God is about to do something new. And so we should continue to persist in our prayers to him, that he really does hear them. There might be a long waiting period, 
in a long gap from offered prayer to answered prayer. But if Zachariah and Elizabeth could be here this morning and say anything to us, they would encourage us to keep on praying. Believe that our God listens and hears and knows the desires of our heart, but also as Zachariah was a priest, he was not only praying for himself and something that he wanted, but it was his responsibility to pray on behalf of the nation. And when the angel said, your prayers have been heard, it's in both of those senses. Your prayer as an individual family has been heard and your prayers on behalf of your people have been heard. The son who's gonna be born to you that's an answer to your prayer is an answer to everyone's prayers because he's going to get everyone ready for the Messiah who's gonna come. Uh, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to host a, a gathering uh, here on a Monday and then at a church in Canton on a Tuesday where over the summer, we brought a gentleman in from Fieldstone Counseling to do a marriage workshop for us. And so we had an all Saturday marriage workshop here at the church. And the gentleman, Bob Shaw, who came from Fieldstone Counseling, as he introduced himself, he said, we're here to do a marriage workshop, but I've actually come to Northeast Ohio and got connected to Fieldstone Counseling primarily to do counseling for pastors or missionary families. And that's one of the areas that I focus on. While that's being built out, um, I also do marriage counseling and different things for people. So when I heard that, I said, oh, well, I'm involved in a pastor's network and I'd love to have an opportunity for you to basically provide uh, uh, counseling and care for uh, pastoral leaders. And so we did that on December 2nd and 3rd. And as part of that workshop, one of the things that he got all of us to really consider of the dangers of ever working for a church or a nonprofit organization is that sometimes we can just become professional at what we do. And so we, we know what to do or we know what to say because we've, we've grown in our practice of it but it, it no longer actually reflects what's in our hearts or what we believe. And that that's just one of the dangers that comes about. And so as all of us were asked to kind of think that through and say, in what ways are you just responding uh, that doesn't, maybe you're doing the right thing, but you're not sure you're doing it for the right reason anymore. And it was convicting for all of us to, to talk that through because there is no professional way to pray. <laughs> There's no professional way to fast. There's no professional way to hear the word of the Lord. And I recognize in my own heart, partly because of just my disposition, I don't worry a lot. Anxiety is not one of my battles or temptations. But my lack of anxiety or worry could be misinterpreted as having faith. And it's not. Uh, simply because I don't worry about things doesn't mean I'm actively praying for something or believing that something else is gonna happen my lack of anxiety and worry is just as much my disposition and my upbringing as it is any specific thing I believe. And so I had to realize if someone talks about this potential scenario or how this could go wrong and I am generally just a, I mean, it could, but I think it's gonna work out in the end. That's not because I believe anything. It's not because I'm passionately praying about it and longing for it to happen. That can just as much come from a place of my own personality. And for us as a family, there's a specific issue that I'm not gonna go into detail, but I realized uh, in the parenting of one of our children that we're going through just a few things that I realized had anyone else told me about them, that they were going through something similar, I'd probably be praying more for them than I'm praying for my own son. 
that with my own son, we're, you know, we're having the parenting conversation, well, let's try this, let's try that. You know, we're, 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 we're not ignoring it. We're trying to problem solve it. But I realized, I think I'm professionalizing the dad role here. Uh, I would, if anyone else came to me and said, hey, this is what we're going through. How do we pray about this? I probably would have done that more. And I just honestly was realizing in that moment as uh, Bob was requiring us to process this stuff, recognizing, I think I'm doing that as a parent. Uh, all of my intentions are good. I love my son, but shouldn't I love him and desire then to cover everything I'm doing in prayer or pray a lot before I come to a quick decision about what I think is right to do? I was convicted about that. I don't know what that would look like for you to think that through, but again, as I was coming to this story and imagining if Zachariah and Elizabeth could be with us today, I know what they would say to my own heart, but I think they would say it to each of us. Don't stop praying. Don't stop expecting God to do surprising and interrupting things. Don't just operate, even in all your accumulated experience of fellowship and wisdom and scripture study, in some capacity where you've actually grown distant in your own desires and hunger for God and longing for him to act and not just assume that you know what he would do or how he would do it. Because um, God does something that surprises them. And as they experienced answered prayer for themselves and for the nation, if we're reading this right, we should also consider ourselves uh, a warm invitation from Luke, the gospel writer, to pray about whatever it is we're going through as well. Then we see that this isn't just for them, but there becomes this overflow of praise because everyone can see how miraculous this thing is. Um, when Elizabeth chooses the name, which throws people off because it's not Zachariah, but it's John, and then they hear Zachariah say the same thing, even though he didn't hear what Elizabeth said. Again, they're all wondering, what is this that God is about to do? And then just see how many times Luke repeats the word all from verse 63 on. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard him laid them up in their hearts. This is five times in a short verse. The, the word all is used. They're, they're all talking about this in all of the town all wondering what God is going to do. And how amazing for Zachariah, right, to be told you're going to have a, a child that he's longed for. And then for nine months to not be able to say anything or hear anything. And so then one of the first things he hears is probably his son crying. That's awesome. He had to wait nine to ten months for that to happen but wow hey this is going to happen and it's though we're not going to fast track this he's not going to appear tomorrow there's a process to this but probably the next thing you're going to hear is your child I mean that just yeah that makes you want to overflow in praise and everyone around is entering into this. All the, all the relatives in the town and, the, and the, the neighbors are overflowing in this praise. When God does answer our prayer, uh, it is something that should invite us to pray when we can't explain it any other way apart from God's intervening and God's action and the appropriate response is prayer. And then from that, Zechariah, now as he's able to talk, 
offers this wonderful response that we get. And in his response, uh, it's amazing that most of his words are not singular or individual about himself and what God has done for him. But as he offers this prayer, this prophecy, he talks about what God has done for the nation. So the first two or three verses of his praise could be, hey, I haven't been able to speak for nine months and God's finally given me a voice. I haven't been able to hear and I finally... But when we start in verse 68, blessed be the God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of our servant David. Zechariah gets that what God is doing is so much bigger than just their family. This is, this is good news for all of them. But he indicates throughout that part of what is good here is that God is raising up a new ruler what it means to say that he's raising up a horn of salvation and a few times in his prophecy he refers to the enemies that will now be thwarted Zechariah knows that what his son is going to get everyone ready for is a new leader and a new ruler because the leader and the ruler in his day King Herod is a wicked ruler and king they have suffered for a long time under him no one is excited that he's in power, but almost all of them are powerless to do anything about it. And so now, as Zechariah experiences the good news of his son coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, he knows this is not just the good news of an individual family, but this is a good news for a nation that is longing to see power be reframed. And so from an invitation to prayer to an overflow of praise, we also see in this prophecy a reframing of power. We need someone to be in leadership who will use their power, not for their selfishness and gain, but for the good of other people. There's a a proverb, uh, chapter 11, verse 10. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper or advance or assume power, the city rejoices. And what's implied in that is if people who have the appropriate fear of the Lord and walk before him and desire to honor his ways, if they rise in power, then they will use their power for the good of all. And so if they advance, the whole city will rejoice because they will, in their advancing, still maintain a sense of humility about who they are and that they stand accountable to God. And so they won't use their authority or their power to do wrong things. They'll use it to do blessings for other people. That basic idea is what's written in almost every superhero story we now have. If you had amazing alien or mutant or supernatural powers, what are you supposed to do with that power? If you could do things no one else could do, if you could fly, if you could, what is your obligation to that? We, we tell stories regularly that communicate a sense of responsibility that comes with that. King Herod would not have said that. He would have said, I have all this power. It's mine to do whatever I want with. It's mine to take advantage of whatever situation I can for myself. So this is how uh, someone about 70 years ago put it when his country was taken over by Hitler 
This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing as a Christian theologian when his own country was now experiencing the rule and the reign of someone wicked. It says the great and the powerful of this for the great and the powerful of this world there are only two places in which their courage fails them of which they are afraid deep down in their souls from which they shy away. These are the manger and the cross of Jesus Christ. No powerful person dares to approach the manger and this even includes King Herod for this is where thrones shake the mighty fall the prominent perish because God is with the lowly here the rich come to nothing because God is with the poor and hungry before Mary the maid before the manger of Christ before God in lowliness the powerful come to naught. So he says, who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever is willing to lay down power and honor and reputation and vanity and arrogance and individualism beside the manger. Whoever is willing to be made low and God alone be made high. This is what Zachariah is praying. He's saying, thank you God that finally someone has come to defeat our enemies. Thank you that there is someone who will yield their power, a horn of salvation, to rule over his people for their good. I read just a few months ago from our own family's biography. Uh, My wife's grandfather was forced into the military in World War II as a German national who didn't live in Germany, and so in his refusal to join the actual army and participate in it, he, was, he suffered a lot of persecution. So by initially being conscripted in, and then asked to serve and saying, I don't wanna serve this army, he was punished. And then on one of the days in particular, it was Hitler's birthday. They, the, the commanders again came in to the, to the group of soldiers and said, who is not able again to stand and swear their allegiance. There's probably only about four or five of them who had to then stand up to not swear their allegiance. And he was one of them. And then he got mistreated all over again because of that. But that's close to what so many of the people, the Zacharias and Elizabeths and the Mary and Josephs had experienced generations of people in power that didn't care about God and so now to hear about the God who has all power willing to come in such lowly estate willing to come and subvert the kingdoms of this world in this way is an amazing truth and so what we see here is this longing this prophecy ultimately of peace to be restored Look at how it ends in verses 77 to 79. This is John's going to announce this new king. He's going to come. He's not going to abuse his power. He's not going to take advantage of anyone or any situation. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. This Messiah that John is going to announce is because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is what we long for. All of us in our hearts, that someone would come who could guide us in the way of peace. And so just as much as Zachariah and Elizabeth would invite us to pray to God, I think they would, if they were here, invite us to be open to all the ways in which God, through the sending of his son and the announcement of that through John, would in restoring what is broken, in healing what needs to be mended, would invite us to pursue peace (laughs) that in the next chapter is exactly what the angels would announce. Joy for all people, goodwill toward men, and peace to be upon the earth. And for us to be challenged to consider the ways in which we desire to contribute to that goodness that God brings into this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth that we can see this couple a long time ago faithful and diligent in their prayers and in their service to you and surprised by amazing and unexpected ways in which you heard their prayers, in which you saw the suffering of your people, in which you then brought about a path of redemption. That for them, redemption was individual and personal, but it it included all of them as a people and as a nation. And that, that is your goodwill for us to shine the light and bring the joy of Christmas into our hearts, but then to expand it through our hearts and through our lives to this broken world, that we can actually be agents of peace, that there would be among our friends and coworkers and neighbors an overflow of praise because of the amazing work that you are doing. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.